Well, for those of you that are new, I want to especially welcome you. And for most of you that have come here uh, regularly, uh, today we start a brand new series. If you remember, we went through the book of James, took us quite a while to get through it. It was a, um, it was a hard book, but it was a good book, don't you think? And uh, as we uh, make our way towards Easter, um, as we were praying about what to, what to ponder and study, pray through, we felt that we were going to focus on what this, the, the series title, Preparing the Way. And you're going to find out in a moment that that comes from um, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, which I won't read in, until a few minutes from now. But I want to prepare you. So between now and Easter is roughly, what, eight weeks. Uh, Easter this year is March 31st. So I think we have maybe nine Sundays, counting today, uh, to arrive at Easter Sunday. And if you're familiar with the story of Isaiah, he lived during the, the kings of Judah, uh, and they were struggling in following God. As I don't need to exaggerate. That's exactly what was going on. And he was there to preach, to remind, to rebuke, but also to comfort. And in that comfort side of Isaiah's message was this one that is found in Isaiah chapter 40, which we'll read in just a moment. But here's what we're going to do. Uh, as we focus on what it means to prepare the way, and what I mean by that is prepare the way for others, not just yourself, but for family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, on how people can encounter Christ. And what a great time to do that leading up to Easter. And so we're going to focus on that, that call using a life uh, from the Bible that encountered Jesus. So, for example, today we're going to focus on John the Baptist. Quite appropriate, since he was uniquely called uh, by God to prepare the way. So, we're going to look at each life for the next nine weeks and draw meaning from uh, what were they like leading up to the time of Christ, what did their encounter with Christ look like, and what happened to them afterwards. The sum total, these next eight, nine weeks, we want to pray and ask God to inspire us to recognize people around us, perhaps, that don't know Jesus, and they're not always the same type. I can think of three or four personally in my, in my life that if I were to line them up, they're very different people, and so they may come to Christ or ask questions or experience him in a very different way, different than me, and different from the person next to them that they don't even know. So... We're hoping that as we have this overarching theme of Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5, and weaving in a story every week about someone encountering Christ, that all of us will be motivated, inspired, and empowered to how does it live, how do we live our faith in a world that's increasingly secular and even more hostile towards a Christian faith. Do you want to be encouraged in that area? I know I do. And so that's our hope in these next seven, eight weeks as we lead to that. So having said that, we're going to uh, go to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to read a passage that uh, refers to, as you'll learn, John the Baptist eventually. This is what Isaiah 40 says. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness, for the Lord makes straight highway through the wasteland for our God. 
Fill in the valleys, level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. And right out of that context, the Gospel of Mark opens up. It's almost like hardly a time passed, and this is what the Gospel of Mark says in reference to John. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He has a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. So clearly we see, and just so you'll know, that time frame between Isaiah's prophecy that he says here in Isaiah 40 uh, during the kings of Judah to the time of John the Baptist was about 750 years. Now stop and think about that. That's three times the length of our country. That's a long time. Time lapsed. But did God's word fail? No, it came. And it came at a time, as the word would later say, the fulfillment of time. At the right time, God brought about uh, John the Baptist to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. So, in keeping with our theme, how did John the Baptist respond when he encountered Jesus? We know he was called, he was the messenger, and what happened when he saw Jesus? He says in John 1, 29, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel." Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Now, we can go in a lot of different directions on that passage, but just try to imagine it's probable that Jesus and John in some way grew up together. Elizabeth, John's mother, was the cousin of Mary, the mother of Christ. So in some way, those two knew each other. Can you imagine all these years later, at approximately age 30, John Got a, got a little fax from heaven in the form of a dove from God and said, he's the one. And that's why John said, I didn't, I didn't recognize that. But when I saw the Holy Spirit, that's, he testified to the truth of what he experienced. So John experiences Christ, 
and John testifies who he is. He did not back off. He saw and said exactly what God showed him. We can also say that in the context of John's life, when he saw who Christ was, he knew his place in God's plan. Listen to this from John chapter 1. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, Who are you? Pause. You have to remember, all the people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem. They were drawn to John. They were asking amongst themselves, Could this be the one, the Messiah? He came out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well then, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And John replied to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Here we go again. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or a prophet, what right do you have to baptize? And John told them, I baptize with water. But right now, right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. And though his ministry follows mine, I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. Wow. In the context of who Christ is, John found his place. It's all about Christ. I'm just the one that's pointing to him. So encounter with Jesus, he finds his role, and he does what I think all of us should do, and that's point to him. Time went on. John continued his ministry, and over time, Disciples were starting to go towards Jesus and not John. Here's what the story says in John 3. John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Pause. A little bit of humor. If I recognize him as Messiah, what are you doing hanging around me for? John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. I encourage you to underscore that verse, that last verse, which is really a call for all of us, isn't it? He must increase. I must decrease. And that's not a statement of value. That's a statement of position and function. I love Christ, and if anybody in some way looks to me, I am hindering the work of God if I in some way take the place of Jesus. I need to step out and point the way just like John the Baptist did. So, 
let's focus on today. We too, much like John did, we live in a wilderness. There's a growing number of people in America that have not heard of the love and message of Jesus, and many have either rejected him outright or are not living out their faith. And uh, the, the Pew Research says this. This is back done in 19, I think it was uh, 2020. In, tw- in 1972, 92% of Americans said they were Christian. And Pew Research reported, but by 2070, that number will drop below 50%. And the number of religious unaffiliated Americans, or what we would call nuns, will probably outnumber those adhering to Christianity. This was done in 72. Another one was done just like it in 2020. Let's see if that trajectory is working out. The number of Americans who identified as Christians is 64. So that's almost a 30% drop in those who confess Christ, with 30 of the U.S. population being classed as religiously unaffiliated. So this accelerating trend is clearly reshaping uh, this, uh, this, the U.S. in religious landscape. You know, it's sobering. It's one thing to read something that's before our lifetime, but this is happening now. I mean, I, I was alive in 72. I was, I was, you know, from that point forward, I'm seeing and experiencing exactly what the, these stats are telling us. Are you seeing the same thing? Are you feeling the same thing? So what this ought to do is say, we live in a spiritually hunger and depraved uh, time uh, in a wilderness, just like John the Baptist did. What about, let's just narrow our scope down to just the Pacific Northwest or even Issaquah. In the Northwest, the religiously unaffiliated continues to grow. Uh, Pew Research pointed out this in their 2020 study about states. I always thought that the Northeastern states were a little bit ahead of us, but if you look at Vermont... New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, they all fall short of where Washington is at. So over a third of all those in Washington, according to this poll, uh, have no affiliation whatsoever. That's about doubled, or more than doubled, just in the last 20 to 30 years. What I find amazing in just using the U.S. Census from 23 for Issaquah uh, we live not only in a religiously unaffiliated culture, we live in a culture that has a lot of ethnicity. And for me, I've, I've, lived, I've usually lived in areas where there's a lot more people that look like me. Not so in Issaquah. Only 60%. The rest are from some other ethnicity. Indian, um, Asian, African American, Middle Eastern. And that's, the, that's not only... That fact, but 30% weren't even born here. Now, I, might, I take the time to say that because when I grew up, um, even those that maybe have come from a different uh, ethnicity, they were usually born uh, in America. But the fact that most were not, 30% were not born, they have absolutely no reference to the Christian Judeo framework that America was crafted in. So they don't have that. We can't rely on their growing up or their culture. They have no reference to that. And if you know um, those that have come from different countries, you'll know what I mean. They, don't, they have no idea what church is about. They have been to a church. They don't know what, you're, what we're talking about. 
That's our reality. That's our neighborhood. And even in my own life, I have neighbors from India, Pakistan, and uh, just right next to us. And we've befriended them, and I'm learning about their culture. And while they appreciate Christianity, they have absolutely no reference as to what it actually is or means. And yet, and yet, for all that, many in the world around us are searching for meaning and significance. They sense there is more to this life than what they are currently experiencing. Many consider themselves spiritual, filling their void with spiritual experiences and practices like meditation, mindfulness, mystical experiences. Many are not happy with who they are and are not happy with where they're going or even where the world is at this time. And most that I've engaged with, they want community. They want something, a place to belong. So we can't just say, well, they, just, they have no reference, but yet we see a spiritual need that they have. They don't have to hide it. They just tell you, I, I hunger for community. And yet they have no connection between that and following Jesus. So the question, as Christians, what is our role? Well, John the Baptist is a good place to start. We are to be like John the Baptist, who pointed people to Christ. John came to remove barriers to the faith and to put Jesus on the stage. There's really no getting around it. If we follow Christ and we in some way don't feel any responsibility to share that, to express that, then we have to wonder, are we really following him? Is he really that important to us? The truth is we all have a circle of influence, family, friends, co-workers, schoolmates, friends, acquaintances, who have never encountered Christ or put their faith in him for salvation. So the question is, can we think of ways to clear the path to Jesus, overcome obstacles, and make him obvious to those around us? That's the question that I'm asking all of us to ponder, pray about, and lean into a little bit between now and Easter. The truth is, we can testify of God's grace through Christ by our words, by our actions, and through relationships with those who do not know Christ. Well, classic preparation time is always a convicting time for me. You probably know this. When you, whenever you teach or preach or whatever, isn't the teacher the one that is a student as well, the one who learns the most? So I've been meditating on this, asking the hard question is, why don't I share Christ? Why don't we share Christ as often as we should? And at some point in my journey, I have struggled with every one of these on the screen. One of my biggest ones is I am too busy. My life is jammed, or at least it was. I can't even imagine having time in the middle of my day, to just stop and share my faith when I have so much going on. I'll never forget this. This is when I was a vocational pastor, and um, you would think that one of my main functions would be to share Christ. And I was the business director, so I had other things besides being a, a pastor. 
And I'll never forget this time. I, I had my, my day was so jammed between one appointment and the next that I, I had to finish this, this appointment that was in my office at the church. I had to run to another appointment. And I'm running down the stairs, running uh, through the lobby, and next to the fireplace that's there, this woman is down there by herself, and she's weeping. And I didn't want to stop, but I did. I thought, well, I can't just not talk to her and make sure she's okay. I'm already looking at the clock. I, I have to leave now to get there on time. And so I'm looking at this lady and said, uh, ma'am, what, what is, what's wrong? What can I do? And, of course, she shared some needs with me. It happened to be a, a death in her family, just overwhelmed and just weeping. She, just, she went to a church. She didn't belong to our church. She just happened to come because she didn't know where else to go. And so I felt like, oh, you know, I'm looking at my clock. I'm looking at her. And I found myself saying, I'm kind of a, I, I'm, I don't have time for this. So being the good Christian that I am, I said a quick prayer, and then I did say, if you go upstairs, you can, um, uh, one of our uh, pastoral staff can be there to help you, and I left. Now, I don't think what I did was wrong, but it underscored this issue in my life. Uh, my life is so full that uh, someone can come and say, please, uh, I'm ready to repent, I'm ready to follow Jesus, with a big old sign, and I'm like, uh, I <laughs> I got to go. Too busy. We don't make that a priority. Some of you are goal setters. I am. And for a while, I've made no reference, no reference in my goals to share Christ with anybody. It's not a priority. Work, yes. Lose a few pounds, maybe. Save, invest, go on this vacation. But on that list was not share Christ with my neighbor or my coworker. It's just not a priority. We're afraid of rejection. That's a big one. No one likes to say, hear the word no or get out of my face. It's not comfortable. And if we're not prepared for that, it can kind of sink our boat. We don't want to be labeled a fanatic. You know what I mean. Those people that are out in front of the stadium, turn or burn kind of people. I don't want to be one of those guys. So I don't want to share my faith because I don't want to be labeled someone that's weird. We don't care enough to go out of our way to share our faith with those who don't know Christ. That's a painful one because I think I'm a caring person but I don't think it, I care enough. I didn't say I don't care at all. I just don't care enough to make it a priority, to do something about it. Even if I have the time, do I care enough to reach out? Or we're hesitant or lack confidence in what to share or how to share about what Christ uh, is with those who don't know him. I just don't know what to say, even if they're interested in hearing it. Lack of preparation. Whatever it is, we're just not comfortable. I don't know what to say. College educated, seminary educated, I still find myself somewhat fumbling. I'm not prepared. 
Now, before you get depressed, as I was, um, everybody kind of starts there, but if you're serious about Christ, you do learn some things along the way. I've been following Christ for over 41 years, and so I've learned some things about this whole issue of sharing my faith. I know this, I need margin in my life to create space to think of others. If I continue to live a crowded life, even with good intention, I'm not going to share Christ. I just don't have the time. So, on a practical level, if you live on a schedule, and I used to jam six, seven meetings in a day, I now put four on there. Now, there's exceptions, urgency, you know, urgency, whatever, but I just don't, you know, two to three, three to four, four to five, I don't do that anymore. Two to three, space, three to five, you know what I'm saying. You create space, you create margin, you allow yourself time to stop for the one when it's presented to you, especially when you're praying for that. Lord, bring me somebody, and then he does, and we don't have time. We don't need margin. Here's a more a real valuable lesson for me. I need Christ's compassion for souls. My own compassion is not enough. And I will eventually get hurt. And I will eventually burn out. I recognize this. What the world needs is not my compassion. The world needs Christ's compassion. And he has chosen in his ultimate plan to work in us and through us the compassion of Christ. How many of you have been broken before and hurting? What's the amazing truth is, is when you are, you come about, when you experience Christ, when he takes on your wounds, something amazing happens. The Bible calls fellowship of sufferings. You know what happens? He takes on your wounds and he gives you his wounds. The wounds of the world that stops and cares for the one. My shoulders are broader because I have been crushed. I have been broken. I have come to him. I have asked him to help me take my wounds. And in exchange, he gives me his wounds, his compassion for the lost. I'm a more compassionate person because I've encountered a compassionate God in my own life. When I focus on my circles of influence to live out my faith, something amazing happens. When I do that with my family, with my friends that know me well, when I just simply be who I am and share my faith in some level of courage or boldness, just the very exercise of that with people that I know, I find myself able to share my faith with those I don't know that well. Start with the low-hanging fruit. You know who they are. Those who know you. Share your testimony and watch what happens. It's like an exercise. Something's happening in your life and you get this rhythm. And then when the opportunity comes to someone you don't know that well, you will know what to say. You'll know where to go with that conversation. Here's something amazing. I've been in pastoral care many, many times. I've had to visit people that are nearing death in the hospital. And I know, they tell me in advance, this person is not a believer in Christ. So what do you do? I have never, and I have asked probably a lot, this is that way, can I pray for you? And yes, they're in a crisis. And that's a, that's a big topic, you know, death, of course. But 
I have found that when people are in crisis, almost without fail, they say, yes, please pray for me. I've just learned that I, I look past the shield of their pride or their rejection of Christ, and I see a human heart that's in need. It's like I know what they want. They don't know what they want. That's not an arrogant statement, but that's a statement that says everybody needs God, whether they want to believe that or not. And I'm willing to say and take a risk, say, can I pray for you? I'm a follower of Christ, and I've come to uh, share that burden with you in prayer. Can I do that right now? In my story, everyone that I've asked that has never said no. Do it. People are open, even if you don't think they are. People observe me more than I realize. Oh, my gosh. Do you guys know that? That's somewhat uncomfortable. So think about your drive to work, get cut off, all right? Or you're at work and you take a nasty call and someone's listening in. Your neighbor, um, you know, something happens, uh, maybe a branch falls uh, on your property um, and it's their tree. Don't, like, heave the branch over and say, this is your dang branch. You take care of it. You know, people are watching that. You don't think they are, but they, they, they kind of size you up for just watching how you live your life more than you think. I've been surprised. And then lastly, my actions speak louder than my words. How I live my life before others provides or takes away opportunities to speak to them about Jesus and what he has done. Funny story, real quick. Our neighbor, we'd have a creek behind our house, and, and the person on the other side of the creek, <clears throat> the creek is like a, the, the um, property line. So I had a tree that fell, and it went over the creek and into his property. And so I thought, oh, well, I've been praying, because uh, to get to that house, I just can't cross the creek. I've got to go all the way around, and you know, it's just not a place that I normally go. So I'm praying, Lord, how Teach me an opportunity to maybe reach out to this uh, person. So this tree fell down, and I, I wanted to go and negotiate with a guy. Hey, let's go 50-50 on this one. And, um, you know, it's on your property. It's on mine. You know, it's kind of an inconvenience for both. And I was in my mind negotiating what I was going to say to this person and give them the reasons why we should go 50-50. And the Holy Spirit, I'm not kidding you, he said to me, you finally have an opportunity to go over there, knock on their door, and you want to negotiate a price over a tree, fork out the 500 bucks, buddy. He didn't say that. But, you know, it's like it's, it's that kind of a feeling. I got convicted, talked to my wife about it. She, of course, agreed with God. <laughs> so I went over there. I said, hi, we've never met. I'm the guy across the, the creek. And the creek is such where he, he couldn't see the tree fell, so he didn't even know. And so I said, yeah, there's a, there's a tree down. And my wife, no. Um, so I said, you know, I, I, I feel responsible, and I, I want to um, pay for the cost uh, for this. Even though it's on your property, I want to I I do the right thing. And he was so taken by that that, as a result, that relationship happened in that sort of context where I was kind of kind, generous, how can I help? Um, and we had him over for dinner like about two months later. And we had a chance to pray and share Christ. I would not have had that chance if I would have brought my negotiation skills to the table. You guys with me on this? Sometimes it's okay to lose for the sake of Christ and others. 
You guys know what I mean by that? Life is not a T account where everything equals. It's not perfectly fair. We have broader shoulders than the world. We can take a few hits. So, what do we do in light of the lessons that I shared? Putting our faith into practice. Here are some things that I recommend. Really be intentional. Develop relationships with those who don't know Christ. I said it before, but Shiju has inspired me in this area. Uh, you have a way, Shiju, of sharing your faith, even if it's over Indian food that I don't particularly care for. You have a way of bringing, bringing those who do not know Christ into relationship. You and others like that inspire me. And I think you would agree, developing relationships with those who don't know Christ is absolutely essential. Even if it's a meal, coffee, you don't say anything about your faith, you just connect. For me, I think it's important, I think it's important in all ways, focus on listening. Take some of the pressure off of you to have to say something. What's your story? What brought you here? Um, you know, one conversation can lead to another before you know it. What are your dreams? What are you concerned about? How can I help you? Another conversation could be, this is, what I, this is what's important to me, and before you know it, you're sharing Christ. But you're listening. And the degree that you listen, you have this ability to gain their trust. Pray before meeting someone who does not have a faith in Christ. Asking God to help be aware of where that person is, know how you can share our, your testimony, and for courage to take that step. Um, I don't. Most of my day, I, I engage with with Christians. There are a few times that I don't, and in those times, I say, "Well, I have no idea where this person's at, but I'm just asking you that, to help me engage with them and catch those opportunities to speak." And that, that's happened many times. Uh, Make a conscious effort to show love, kindness, and generosity where possible. Just be kind. And being kind, I think, makes a huge difference, especially to those who do not know that you even are a Christian. When they recognize that you are, I think they'll be more open. Remember those who don't know Christ in, your, in our prayers, praying that their hearts would be humble and open to the gospel. I could say this, change is slow, and everything I just shared with you, lessons learned, and some of those things that we all struggle with while we don't share Christ, the needle is moving in my life. I'm more courageous than I was 10 years ago, 20, 30, 40 years ago, but it's not instant. Some days I get it right, some days I get it wrong. The Lord convicts us, but I think if we ignore it, I think we're missing a big part of our experience in Christ. Believing in Christ is instant. It may take a while for us to make that choice, but it's instant. But how it changes our attitudes, our thoughts, actions, that's a slow and deep work. It takes a while. Be patient. And God knows this. He's patient with us. But I think I would suggest a posture of leaning into it and just not giving up. Maybe you got it right one day, wrong the next. God understands that. But have a heart that's open 
to receiving his correction and encouragement along the way. So here we are, baby steps. Will you open your heart to God? This is my question to you and to me. Ask him for his compassion for others. Will you write down the names of one or more people in your life that don't know Christ on, let's say, a three-by-five card and put that in a very conspicuous place? Now, there's a card underneath your chair. Go ahead and grab that. There should be a pen somewhere close to it. And in the... uh, Coming weeks, we're going to share more ways to engage with people that don't know Christ. Today, we're taking a baby step and just simply asking God to help us and remember to pray for those that we know that don't know Christ. And this doesn't have to be someone that's right next to you that you see every day. It could be a family member that lives across the country, whatever it might be. Um, pray and think about hopefully at least one. I wrote down three. They happen to all be neighbors. And, um, and so I, I decided my conspicuous place is not my back pocket because I'll forget it. So I'm going to put mine uh, on my computer screen that I'm up at most of the working day so that through the day, I'll, I'll remember in my morning prayers, but I won't remember to pray in the middle of the day. So I'm just going to post this right on the bottom of my screen and just remember these, uh, the ones that I wrote down. So think about that. And shortly here when we have our time of reflection, um, and the band is going to lead us in that, um, I, I encourage you to write, write them down. And we left the cross down like we did last week. If you feel led as an act of faith to just bring those names and, and just come to the cross and say, Lord, I just give these people to you in faith, believing that, my testimony and maybe others, that they would be receptive to the gospel. This isn't magic. It's just an act of faith. It's, it's moving your body and your mind towards something that says, I'm going to do this. And so during the reflection time and even after uh, you take communion, uh, I encourage you to do that. Question, will you prepare the way for others? Can you think of the one who cleared the path for you to Christ? Do you guys know who that who that who those people are? Family member, relative, parent, pastor, friend. They made the way for you to see Christ. Now it's our turn. Think about those people. We live in a post-Christian culture. Many of those around us have never even been to a church. Their parents aren't believers. They have no other uh, in their life uh, around them who are believers. We may be the only people that they encounter that are Christian. And ultimately, Christ is our example. I love Romans 5, verse 6 and verse 8. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In 1 John 4, 18 and 19, love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. 
If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Let me suggest, based on this verse, that if you are fighting fear about sharing your faith, um, maybe start with just a time, daily routine to say, Jesus, I choose you. I'm going to abide in you today. I'm going to learn of you. Uh, I'm going to receive your love because it's not my love the world needs. It's your love, Jesus, that the world needs. And to the degree that you experience that love, I believe that fear that we all fight with will dissipate in time. But lean into it. Trust the Lord. And I find, in my experience, when I share my faith, uh, I get excited. I get excited about my own faith in God when I just take the time to take the rocks out of the path and clear a way for people to come to Christ. So we're going to go into a time of reflection. I encourage you to write those names down. If you'll lead uh, maybe before or after communion time, uh, go to the cross. You certainly can. Um, But as we take communion, just another reminder, this is the very nature of communion is remembering. Remembering Jesus who made the way. And the Old Testament is very clear. We could not come to God on our own terms. There's nothing in us that we possess that allows us to come into his presence. But through Christ, we can come to him. He paid the price. He died the death that we should have died so that we have the life that we could never obtain through Christ. The great, amazing exchange. His death, our life. So when you come and remember Uh, in communion, remember that, the great exchange. He died so that you and I can have life. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you that uh, we are not alone. Jesus, your word says that you actually dwell in us. And because you do, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases you. And amazingly, even when we falter, even when we sin, even when we wander, Your grace is greater than any judgment. You always bring the repentant one home. You always bring the one who seeks you to your heart. So I pray as we ponder these thoughts about preparing the way, would you empower us with a new level of courage and joy and peace in knowing that we are found. We want to share that news with those around us. So make that plain to us, we pray, and give us the courage in those moments to share our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.